And I was like, actually, we've got some really creative, mind-blowing stuff going on. Hello and welcome to the Emotive Pixels podcast. This is an episode for the game Bastion. With me today is me, Nate Stevens. To my left is... Craig Schumann. Matt Sasu. Will Atkinson. To begin with, a mildly morbid question. What city would you destroy in an apocalyptic scenario? Oh, man. So if I were going to wish the calamity or uh, apocalypse on a certain city, I'd probably pick Los Angeles. Ooh. Ooh, all right. Why? Probably mostly because out of all the locations that I visited across the United States, that one came off by far the most pretentious of any city that I visited and the most unwelcoming throughout most of my experiences when I've been there. Well, so. Craig, can I, can I critique your choice? Oh, boy. Oh, no. I think it's a little unwelcoming and pretentious of you to destroy it. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I'm a, I believe in karma. It so rubbed off on him while he was there, you know. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. I just want to <laughs> make sure that I respond with uh, equal hospitality. <laughs> I respect your decision. How about you, <laughs> Will? And assuming this is not like a nuclear thing where I have to worry about fallout, I'm going to go with uh, Bellevue to give us a little elbow room here. What would you do with the newly available Bellevue? <laughs> we we would create an empire. I feel like you're preparing would, uh, for destroying additional <laughs> cities with said <laughs> empire. Yeah. This is not a one and done for you. This is the beginning of his conquering. you got to start somewhere, Craig. You know, He's got a plan. New settlement there and then... We trade with some city-states like Portland or something. I don't know. Is Portland a <laughs> city-state? Well, it's going Actually, to be in the post-apocalyptic future. Didn't you see uh, Mad Max will be all divided up into those different warrior tribes? Dude, that basically? was present-day Australia. That's oh, I'm sorry. not even post-apocalyptic. That's just now. <laughs> it's just current. <laughs> yeah. I think um, in a fit of jealousy, I'd probably destroy San Diego. You get tired of people saying nice things about it. Oh. It's the other West Coast city that seems to give us the most rivalry for niceness. But a bunch of sailors told me the other day that it wasn't that great. So I think I have full permission to destroy it. How about you, Matt? Uh, I got to say, I I like Craig and Will's answers because they're... um Basically, basically for the same reason of uh, of not liking population. But I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to destroy a place because it's a polluted hellhole... Where the very air you breathe is a noxious fume. I'm, of course, referring to Zhongli, Taiwan. And the reason is because I went there for a brief period of time and was very sick and continued to te- deteriorate as I was there, forcing me to vacate the country. And your bells. I like that you mentioned that it's the city that we all know is the one you can't breathe in. <laughs> and then you spout out some city in Taiwan that I've never heard of. Yes, that was the joke, Craig. Shanghai. <laughs> and that is not in Taiwan. Well, I'm not going to go to the mainland after having gone to what is supposedly the, the less polluted country and, and having this result. I'm just like, if I go to the mainland, I will get sick. And I'd better have a damn good reason for going to the mainland. Well, let me impact I like how three quarters of us are going to blow up America. Yeah, well, it was a very <laughs> patriotic <laughs> decision. Yeah. I'm going for an American ally. I mean, half of us, California. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, okay. That is yeah, half I, of us, I, California. I, it, yes. Yeah. 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 Should we just get rid of all of California? Just why not? I mean. Well, no, it's going to dry up here shortly. So, uh, Nathan. Oh, yeah. I have a question for you. Uh, just a question about the nature of the doomsday weapon. Oh, yeah. It's a so it's, it's an annihilatrix, like, I assume. Uh, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit. That's the whole plan. It's not canon. 
Yeah, Nathan. Right. Is this? Is, I assume this is like a, yeah. a ridiculous. You wouldn't want to shoot him with the cannon. Weapon. That'd be dumb. It's I think not, it's an ion cannon. Just paints. Now that's a sweet super weapon. It just paints the area, and then you can rebuild on it. Is, I'm, I'm imagining like a it's like, got a cool um, fertilization like a Futurama style doomsday weapon like Professor Farnsworth has up in his lab he's like this is where I keep the doomsday weapons I suppose I could still be feared if I'm parted with one of them I assume it's one of those because yeah, it's definitely one of those certainly um, this is like in some Doctor Vu shit in the game Bastion that's kind of the nature of dealing with we're not dealing with some standard doomsday weapon we've got some really creative mind blowing stuff going on you mean you have to be kind of creative in your doomsday weaponry to call it the calamity like that's kind of an artsy name well was the calamity the weapon or the after effect well i mean even if so let's say hypothetically i I dropped a nuclear bomb on san diego i don't think any single news reporter would call it the calamity i I have to someone's got it i almost picked austin but that way don't just no don't destroy austin oh that's personal for you yeah i mean i think they're both comparably loved I don't think a nuclear but, weapon would produce a calamity. They'd call it the shittiness or something. Multiple nuclear weapons are needed to make a calamity. This is something <laughs> like, properly earth-shattering. No, you're thinking of nature. a cacophony. <laughs> cacophony. It should still it that is, should be pronounced cacophony. It's be quite literally better. earth-shattering. That is true. It's a good what point. planet were they on? That's a great question. And if the plot was more specific, we might have an answer to that. Right. So obviously the point we're getting at is the plot is a little bit vague. Matthew, tell us about the incredibly vague and detailed plot. Happy to, Nathan. Here's what happens. There's this one city-state called Caldonia, and they want to destroy the people of the other city-state called the Ura. So these two city-states have been in a state of conflict for a period of time, and they've had wars in the past, but there had been a period of peace. One side, the uh, Caldonians, decide they wish to wipe out the Uras. That's, and I feel like this is that's kind of far simpler than <laughs> yeah than that's the, that's how it went. They just decide, eh, you know, I wake up this morning, I'm gonna kill these guys. Yeah, I was gonna say we've been in a war for 47 years, but just this morning, the craziest <laughs> idea. And I thought to myself, now get ready for this, Jim. You're gonna want to write this down. I thought, what if we get rid of the other side? And Jim said. <gasps> No, that won't work. We've been at war with them for 47 years. Good point. And then 80 <laughs> years after that, someone else woke up in a new generation and had this idea, and here we are. Well, well let me actually address this, because it is discussed in the final mission what happens. The Caledonians decide they want to make sure that a horrible bloody war like what they'd had, I think it was 25 years prior to the game itself, never happens again. So they build this super weapon to use as a last resort in case the in case a war starts up again. They don't actually intend to use it unless what? they absolutely have right, to. Right, so it's supposed to be See, mad, right? I don't think the other side actually has any retaliatory capability like this, though. Hmm... And I don't believe the Doomsday Weapon was meant to actually destroy the entire planet. I think it was meant to be a localized thing to collapse the tunnels that they live in. Some of the side effects of it are... I'm going to be honest. He could be making most of this up. So I'm excited to see where this goes next. Then what happens? You you were literally playing through the last mission as as the narrator was telling the story. Because he had been working on the project. Yes. Remember that? Yes. I was like, cool, the project. And the Bastion. That was his other project. Yes. So they have this project. They have one of their scientists. He goes rogue, sets off the weapon, destroys the entire planet. 
a couple of our guys make it back to the bastion. Did you play this game? <laughs> yeah, I was just busy staring at pretty face. <laughs> like, uh, uh, exactly. Hey, if you guys, playing. if you guys want to uh, refute me, go no, I'm pretty sure all of this is made up. I, <laughs> I am. Keep going. I am I remember. I am not like, making any of this up. Now, if some of this might be... He is be, a story whore. Some of this, yeah. This, that's like the one thing He's I was like paying attention to. He's like a sponge see, for a story that see, doesn't Nathan, exist. In that last mission, you were paying attention to two things. You had the big bazooka that charges up and fires giant missiles that's at... That's a mortar, but... Enemy? No, the mortar was the second to last thing. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was equally distracted by the mortar. Don't misunderstand. I like the mortar. The mortar was a lot of fun. In addition to... Uh, that, that game's just great. I like how you start out with a big hammer. It's fantastic. It is great. It's your trusty sidekick or something. So That was Squirt. There was Squirt, but there was also the other creature you acquire later in the game, which is this ridiculous underground monster. It's just fantastic. Don't know why we didn't have Wait, that earlier. Which one? The weird crocodile jaws? Yes. The that thing was that's an enemy. Like a whole, well, and then we get one as a pet. Oh, you're right. This is in the Bastion. As we save the Bastion from attack by the rebelling Uras. Incidentally, the fact of the matter is that way more of them survived than the... Um, then, <laughs> then the side then, that went rogue. Then the side that, you know, developed the weapon in the first place. They had like a good 200 people. And then we just go and we kill all of them because... That did happen. That, that was uncomfortable. That did happen because I guess we can... This is a very confusing game is what I'm saying. We got a whole section to talk about how uncomfortable that end mission was. We walked <laughs> through the halls of the people we were just slaughtering as they stare at us. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey. This thing starts off destroying the dust statues of all the people who used to live in your town, right? I mean, this whole, this whole thing is... This is a very is dark... True. This is a very uh, dark game when you get right down to it. So what? what's actually... Kinda, did we finish the story? No, we've not yeah, finished yeah. the story what, just What's yet. actually happening during the game? So during the game, the entire world has been shattered by some kind of earth-shattering anti-gravity weapon because the entire world is now these floating islands. You have to navigate this world collecting these crystals that are the power source for the Bastion, which is a safe haven and a fail-safe device in case the calamity occurred. Who are great narrator who just kind of hangs out in the Bastion giving you orders, develops both the calamity and the Bastion itself. Which is why he is having you rebuild it, get it up to its full functioning capability, which is the entire purpose of the game. Well, it looks like you Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Nate and Craig, and we're like, is he writing his fanfic over here? What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, you guys also played the game, and you had the opportunity to pay attention, but apparently y'all didn't. <laughs> I'm, so, sorry, I'm, just I'm like, still reflecting wow. on the fact that I just like blew up a bunch of stones of people as I walked by at the beginning of the game, and I was like, I, I just had a big hammer and decided I should start hitting shit. Well, Craig, that's because like you, you weren't thinking dick. about the, you weren't thinking about the greater implications of those people were dead there was like it's like in pompeii where you have these exos- the <laughs> I'm, prostitutes I'm, I'm sorry the walls. oh my god what that's a thing i it probably i actually don't know that, that for certain but i believe you're right i think that is what would, you have like you have people who were just just encased in the volcanic ash forever and that's basically what we're looking at here that is the level of destruction you just go around the town taking out people that you knew in fact that happens on multiple levels did you not just sure you were playing that? i wanted them to like spew out orbs for me like i wanted stuff from them i mean i, I just wanted to collect things I, it's th- trying to craig horrify like, you craig something that apparently was completely lost I'm, on you he was wow. playing it like a vegas slot game he's like ching 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 ooh gold so for, ev- for everyone's edification. Target practice. Yeah, so 
the narrator does explain all of this, and this is where I'm getting all this information, during the final mission where you're acquiring the last crystal that you need to get the bastion up to full functioning capability. After that, and by that you mean after, steal it back for the yeah, second who sabotaged time it? or something. What's, what's his face? Uh, Zolf. 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 Why did Zolf sabotage it? Was he one of the Caledonians? Because no, he, no, was, he was one of the the Auras, and he realized he that Urai. Yeah, and so he they had actually turned on him because they thought he was a traitor. The other survivors, but he read in the diary of Zia's mother, I believe. Zia, another character you find in the game. Yes, that Caldoni had developed the Doomsday Weapon. And so he was pissed because he realized that's everything that had gone wrong. And then he sabotaged the Bastion. We go and start to rebuild it. They have the last crystal item that we need. What was the benefit of sabotaging the Bastion? I mean, it was the safe haven and the thing that's keeping the world kind of together as it is now, right? Well, it's not really keeping the world together. It's a way to undo the damage that was done because the Bastion itself at least from what we can tell, is a time machine. From his point of view, that's the house of the people who just wiped out the entire civilization. Yeah, so it was so it was a vengeance like thing. A- he doesn't know what the Bastion does. He does he doesn't yeah, I think he set off that. in search to find out what the intentions were. Because he's still, yeah. still not going to trust the people who just built the doomsday weapon that wiped out his entire people. But wouldn't the book also include the fact that it's basically a, also a reverse switch for everything that's happened? I don't know i didn't read it i imagine if i were in his position and i did realize that i probably would still try to undermine the enemy's efforts at that point somehow so and he probably also wasn't thinking especially rationally because we probably just killed his wife children etc so and i'm not in a position to comment on what that's like i imagine it's a bit jarring it's a bit jarring i think makes sense so i'm with you so we're going through these overworld levels and we're collecting power to heal up the bastion zolf comes along sabotages it we kind of get it back up to functioning capacity again then what happens well then our glorious narrator gives us a choice we have two things we can do again this is explained during the final mission uh he is talking to zia during this mission where we are infiltrating the remains of the enemy city enemy quote-unquote city mm-hmm. there aren't really that the only other survivors on the planet, really. Right. The other city. Well, and shouldn't we mention during this mission, the Ura are attacking Zolf as well? Yes, yes. That is very important. I did say very quickly earlier that he was considered a traitor by them. But, yeah, you're was definitely right. Hooking up with the Bastion people. Yes. They didn't... He didn't his, fully know. He they didn't, didn't fully know. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. They decide he's a traitor. Yeah. And it's basically just said that much in the game. That he is a traitor, and they try to kill him. And he's still alive when the kid finds him. And you have two choices there. You can leave him to die, or you can carry him out of there. What did you guys do? We carried him out. Yeah. I carried him out. Craig? Yeah, I carried him out as well. Huh. Wow. Look at those non-choice choices. Yeah. The other option was presumably... To murder him, I think. No, I think it was leave yeah. him, to, to leave, leave him, him to die, die but and kill everyone else. Because on the way, we're carrying him out. They don't attack us. Oh, they just, they just let us go. I imagine if, the, if we the had... the uh, super ram thing. Yeah, I imagine... If you don't pick him up, right? Yes. We have the super ram to get through everything. So we would have just plowed through all the other survivors, gotten the crystal, gotten back out. So what the hell does the Bastion do? It's a time machine. It's like a TARDIS. You can go back in time to before the Calamity and kind of resets everything. It's like a mulligan for the world. It's like a, <laughs> it is actually more of a reset button. You don't actually travel back through time, but it allows 
sort of like know. sort of a time reset. No, that's what they said it does. There's so, a lot I didn't understand. Like, could you say it's resetting the world? Is anybody going to remember anything? Yeah, no, like, they do say that you, they will not remember each other or the events of the game. So how is it really a yeah, reset? Yeah, so you'd be rewinding time in the hopes that you'd figure out, or whoever would figure out how to stop it from happening. But, but nobody knows, so it's... Well, it's just hoping Basically, that you, you are the same terrible decision twice. You are functionally ending the timeline. So, yep. in that case, if you're picking the thing to reset, you are ending the universe, right? And you're just going back to a restore point. I mean, cut, right, yeah. but then like everything that's going to happen is going to happen the exact same way because there's nothing to change it. What? And then you're so going to well, restore is, it again. Is, uh, is, so you're in an infinite loop. Quantum we randomness. Belief, we don't yeah. know that it's going to necessarily all happen the same way due to quantum uncertainty. We have the belief that if we go back in time to the same point, what same decisions you? might not be made. So you're saying in, in everybody's each coming at it with the kind of well, I mean everybody's coming at it with the exact exact same experience. I actually yes. do think you're correct, and that going back in time is completely futile. And this, I think, is a fairly significant problem with the story among many. But yeah, that's the story. That's as far as I can, as far as I can tell. That's that's the storyline. That's what the Bastion does. Either it resets the timeline, or you can use it as as an escape pod to escape the world. And they're a little bit vague as to where you would go. Otherwise, yeah. if there's undamaged. I think parts they just the planet, say it's maybe. like a safer place. I think yeah. it's just a metaphorical ending. It's just. Matt, would you rather give this world another chance, or would you rather leave this world and try something new? I think that's really what the game's trying to ask you. I think it's trying to have you leave behind all your presuppositions about time travel and universe theory. And I think they were trying to make it simple. I think, unfortunately, the way the narrative was kind of structured led, I think, all of us into probably being more willing to overanalyze because it was kind of elaborate. Do we want to say what we did? Sure. I think it's pretty obvious what I picked at this point. Yeah, you chose to leave? I chose to leave. Two reasons. One, it didn't seem like there was any way out of there. And as we've talked about in our podcasts before, that's the stuff of nightmares, man. Doing the same shit over and over and never getting anywhere. <laughs> well, that is very you well said. You have worked at Boeing. Actually, let me, actually, let me add. I, did, I made the other choice, but one of the things they say, if you choose the time travel ending, is that we won't remember each other or the events of the game. Had I known that, I've been like, oh, well, then I probably would have chosen to leave myself. Uh, I chose to escape off and uh, try and find a find a better way. That makes sense. With my crew intact, remembering what we did. Craig, did you also kind of have a problem with the kind of the vague two options they gave you and kind of overanalyzing what they meant and being like, wait, that doesn't make sense? Or did you just kind of... I, I just was kind of living in the moment when I was playing the game, and honestly, there's a lot of analyzing that's been going on through uh, Matt's brilliant synopsis that uh, I didn't fully catch on, or I don't think I fully understood. But So I'm actually experiencing another level of the game by, by this conversation. Definitely. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Did you guys have anything to ad that you'd picked up on about the plots i mean no i, feel I don't like think we did you got different weapons so there's <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes i got a secondary weapon so there's a part uh which i briefly mentioned earlier where you're forced to do one of these missions where you like get high pass out and relive your past yes one of them is 
with the kid and the kid they talk about how he was trying to get along and just kind of couldn't get along so he went off and joined the military and was off at the wall when calamity happened and then i understand that you can do that and kind of get the backstory of the rest of the characters but i don't think we did that right i don't think so either craig did you do any of those side missions yeah, they were kind of almost challenge arenas to a certain extent also. Is that the, yeah, those the are the ones we're talking about? We have yeah. to do like 20 waves or something. Yeah, yep, exactly. Or use a, a weapon in a certain way to uh, to defeat everyone or uh, so things. I did some of those, but I left most of them to come back to and kind of just hopped into a couple of them. And then I was mainly just going through the the linear path so you only get the story if you defeat all 20 rounds it's like each wave you get another line from the guy okay you have to just go through the whole thing it was a neat way to try and add some backstory to it but ultimately the combat depending on which one it was i wasn't super engaged in and possibly using one of those weapons and i was more fascinated by experiencing what was going to happen next in the main through the main line yeah definitely this was a fun world they put you in too i yeah i really like the world a lot it was a lot of creativity and there. absolutely gorgeous yeah, the art yes. styles i think top 10 what do you think about the narrator being a character that is curious i don't you know i can't really think of a lot of other games that use a narrator that's like omniscient in this way but also have him in the world I mean, he's not quite omniscient. You're right. He built a doomsday weapon. He knows a lot more than you do until the end, though. There are times where he's like, and then we hadn't heard from the kid in a while. And you're like running <laughs> around. And he's like, yeah, because we were just hoping he wasn't dead yet. And you're still running around trying to get back to the bastion. Right. <laughs> that was cute. The way that it was dynamic yeah. in responding to your actions was something that i thought was really interesting especially because the way that he responded to certain things you're doing or if you were destroying too many items or things of that nature it didn't feel forced it felt like he was just making a commentary that seemed appropriate at the time it didn't even feel like the line was just spoken out of turn either it really reminded me at times of the stanley parables narration where it's like so fluently responding to what you're doing that you almost don't even think about it. Feels like there's someone over your shoulder kind of watching. Has no one in the room played the Stanley Parable? I have played it. I have played it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would. I would things. say that's. I like the narration in that one more just because yeah, it's so heavily. It's yeah. It's, that's such that's a huge totally part different. of the. Yeah. yeah, that is most of the game, and it's fourth wall shattering, but. But just in addition to, like, yeah, this isn't a thing. How well the narration ties in with what you're doing as, you know, more as in gameplay, less as in, you know, just being a story device. Sure. It's more of a response to your gameplay. But in addition to that, the narrator is... Rux. Rux. Yeah. He is somebody you can walk up to and talk to in the game. Right. You know, there's stuff like, and then the kid asked me about something, but I didn't know. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that was really unhelpful. You'd ask, ask him... You definitely ask him. You're like, I want. Um, can I? Can you tell me about the history of this item from our city? Uh, the yeah. kid brings me an item. Wants to know more about it. Said I don't know. <laughs> that, that was, was a great cutscene, Bastion. <laughs> Thanks. That was really good. Glad we went there. That was a really good impersonation too. <laughs> Thanks. But just just yeah. as him as an individual inside the, there are a couple of funny storytelling things that I think are interesting. One is the like the character who's off screen mentioned a bunch and you know never actually on screen, like a uh, Howard's mom or the chef from Star Trek Enterprise, who they talk about him all the time yeah. you know, throughout the entire series, but you never see him online or you never see him on screen. Oh um, yeah. So like yeah. there's that yeah. kind of the device. This one I think is interesting having a narrator that's actually 
yeah. both narrating while narrating while he's on the screen. That's the one that's that really kind of right. weird. Well, don't you have any friends? That he's speak within the, the world. Person? That's not quite what it's like either, because when you're talking to him, he talks directly to you, doesn't he? I th- or is he no, I don't think so. so. He's I think always he... in third person. I think <laughs> yeah, so. I think so. Maybe he even yeah. says like he talked to me or something of that nature. But I don't think he says. I don't think he directly like approaches you and says this item that you just picked up. Like I don't think there's ever a you or anything like that. It's always referring to the kid and his interaction with him. So you, the player, are Zia. What? Oh, when he's talking, right. it's because he's telling Zia a story. Oh, and that, so and you, the player, are Zia in that conversation. That's right. So another, yeah. so it's another case where that is a weird layer. Hmm. You are consider- a character that's in the game, and it's like, yeah. Well, I didn't consider that is happening all the time, not just in the one level that I was that I mentioned. That is a continuous thing, isn't it? Yeah, throughout the whole thing. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Didn't really perceive that. Well, that that's actually really cool. What happens when you leave? He, there's just a tiny little cutscene where you and Zia, I think. Zia, yeah. Are just off. And Zolf, if you saved him. I think they're just flying what about away. Rux? I mean, he's there too. Okay. Yep. There's the whole bastion flying through space happily ever after. I'm also going to point yeah. out that everyone, I mean, there's some people back alive on the, the planet if you didn't kill all of them. But but if you if you did, then it's just it's just three guys and one woman. That is not enough to repopulate in any real capacity. So really, you're just living out your life somewhere else. Do they have genetic engineers? <laughs> second throwback. You I'm going to say yes. You should read Seven Eves, as Esteban mentioned on our last podcast. Is it about repopulating? He was vague about what it was about there, too. I'm going to be as vague, but it's very relevant. I think you need a hundred people if you have What's sufficient the book genetic called? diversity. Seven Eves by it's the latest Neil, Neil Stevenson. Stevenson book. He's a very, very famous author who wrote Cryptonomicon and Snow Crash. Snow Crash and I take books. it there are 70 women used to repopulate the planet. Wait, Seven Eves. Seven. Seven. Oh, I heard 70. That, well, is a, that makes more sense. You should read the book. Cool. Okay. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard good things. So you picked the opposite. I did. It was all green. Did you feel the good reset. about your choice? No. Did you feel anything about your choice? Not really, but I went for a run. I listened to the soundtrack, and that felt great. You had actually played the soundtrack at one point a couple of years ago, and I hadn't played this game at all until very recently, but I love that soundtrack. And I, so much so that I use it as my running soundtrack on a very regular basis, just always do the first one well you first got a little narration bit for the very first track there which i don't remember the name of because it's not properly a song listen all this takes a lot of getting used to and you do get used to it after a while there's three things i'll always miss though one not having to watch my step all the time. Wait, do you two, just go straight through the song uh, list on your runs? I can, not, not straight not through. I'll mix it up a little bit. So the okay. second track, however, is probably one of the best ones on there. It's called The Proper Story. That one... Really, ma- it, for me, it makes me feel like I'm running through the desert. It, it sounds old west. It feels really powerful. It's it's just uh, it's a phenomenal track. 
Then it gets much more chill. You you have Slinger's Song, which is I think the one most people know of who played the game. It's background of this game that's a very chill one i usually start playing that run that one about 20 minutes into my run like all right i've been going pretty hard time to just slow it down a little bit get a nice longer stride going it'll be good build that wall yes is a great build one that wall yes build that wall thing that I beautiful so that's also known as Zia song yes there is Rux's refrain to yes. Zia's song which I think Creepy. is just ha- creep haunting yes that's a better word I don't, when does that yeah, play in the game? He's singing it like, over something. I I feel like I remember the level setting, but I don't remember exactly what's going on in the plot, but probably just my whole view of the game. Do you remember that piece? I don't remember that piece specifically, uh, no. But in like setting sail, they do have uh, they do have a back and forth with Zia's song and some different uh, vocals at the same time. we're talking about so uh, he sings her song in the game over a, a stage as oh. um i think it's like a part where you leave and he doesn't know whether or not you're going to come back kind of thing actually i think i do remember this now that you say it but i don't remember when that was precisely um when we tried to look it up it was kind of hard to, to find too it's not really well i think it's on the official soundtrack you think so Speaking, the soundtrack, though, and to your point, Matthew, about the inspirations that you hear where you kind of get that old Western type of style Mm. while also still hinting at a sci-fi theme throughout it. I mean, there's interesting pinnings there that help 
set the mood as well as kind of articulate the world that you're experiencing too. I think that they integrate and meld together so, so well. They do. They have a pair of songs. I think it's track five and six. Terminal March and Percy's Escape that have a very different kind of feel. Terminal March feels almost oriental. feel like I'm in Japan at that point a little bit, and Percy's Escape is a very fast, aggressive song. When the world is collapsing around you, they love to play that one. What is the terminal? That's what they added in Halo to make it attempt to have plot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The terminals. I can yeah. understand okay. he got confused, yeah. <laughs> it also shows up in Transistor. Oh, my God. A I lot. Mm. Oh, I thought there was the, the terminal was something like, isn't that the transfer station between Caldonia and the Uri's hometown? Wasn't that the... Was there actually like a, like a, like a transit place? I don't recall. I mean, there would have to in, in any society there has to be some way to get around. Certainly, uh, and in an advanced society like that, there would definitely be some kind of transit hub. I don't know what the terminal but, is, though. But I've, that's where that name of that song came from. I thought I'm I'm guessing you're right. But in truth, I'm far more familiar with the soundtrack than I am the actual game. The Tazzle Terminals, all that's left of the Uras civilization and the last stop of this little journey. So the Uras were the other side that did not have the weapon, correct? Correct. So they had a teleportation system and we had a super weapon? That was how the tech kind of distributed? That kind of um, sounds about right, wait, but they, I don't. it they, doesn't really say what it does. It just says that that's the name of their city. Well, they didn't okay. say what kind of transit did they. My understanding was that they had a network a of underground tunnels. Okay. That they, the they lived in Warrens, yeah. Okay. So, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think, obviously, Matthew, you came into this hearing the soundtrack previous to playing it. Quite a bit. How did the soundtrack influence your guys' experience with the game? Was it something that you were conscientious of, like, this is something special throughout? Or yep. was it just... Yes, I would say that something. it was... Um, obviously, my perspective is different from yours. But I think the soundtrack is incredibly integral to this game really adds the experience quite a bit and they use it very effectively too for the most part do you have any more thoughts about the soundtrack no it's glorious okay go listen to it yeah i totally agree i think you can listen to it outside of the game it's one of those few soundtracks that transcends only being relevant to to the actual title that you're playing like something that you can throw on outside of it yeah this is one of the very few soundtracks i would recommend to someone that i had no interest in game soundtracks or even soundtracks in general. It just holds up very well. Just hear some music. What's the pedigree of this? Is it somebody we... Is Darren the- Korb is just an American composer, and as far as I can tell, he's only done major music for Supergiant, which I assume means he's local. He yeah, I believe this is the first video game that he had scored, and then previous to this, he had done like some TV shows and stuff, but I think this is probably what... A- He's most known for by this point. Did he do Serenity or Firefly? I don't believe so. I think when I was trying to find some more history about music that he had composed previously, or they said minor TV shows, I feel like that would be cool. one that would pop up and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, here's this, this guy. This had a better yeah. score, so I was, I, I was invested in that but answer. It does. It almost feels like it pays homage to, the, to Firefly. Yeah, it does a little bit. It definitely and, has that 
sci-fi western feel i didn't yes i never noticed yeah. the soundtrack in firefly or serenity but maybe that's because i never really watched them all that closely it was more subtle yeah this is which is not a problem that made no. sense for that certainly i would say that for me being the soundtrack guy you would expect that and i really like the soundtrack and i really like it a lot but i actually found the graphics more integral to my enjoyment of this game i think this is the prettiest game i've ever played it is gorgeous and i really love the visual style i love the isometrics i love the art style it all just works together in a way that really, really engages me. I think it was all hand-painted, too, and then scanned in. Wow. You are right. You brought up that exact comment several weeks ago, and I remember sitting at the time, sitting there, racking my brain, trying to think what I would say was a prettier game than this, and I'm still, to this day, I haven't really thought of something that nothing's jumped up at. I think... I think the way that the world's presented to you as well, outside of just the art style, but how... Like, things fall into place as you're exploring, and the world continues to build itself as you traverse it is something that was fascinating. Uh, And I think that actually enhanced the art style because you kind of experienced the slate that was building itself around you and being put together. Even in the UI design, right? When you bring up the main menu, all the parts of it fly up and then look like they're landing separately. It looks like the menu's like being assembled. there's, yeah, there's weight to it. There's, there feels like there's actual heft and kind of there's physics at play within the world. Exactly. Even as it's all floating around. Yes, and I think that's really cool. And I think the soundtrack feeds into that same sort of art style in a way where the soundtrack feels like it's... There's just something about the way the score is done where it feels like there's different pieces that are layered and assembling as you go along. And it's, it's just wonderful. And I think that that, for me, was the thing that really... I definitely went into the game knowing about the soundtrack and having listened to the soundtrack first. And usually that kind of... Not ruins, but takes away from the soundtrack being immersive. And in this game, it still didn't. The soundtrack was still great and still very... It just felt natural everywhere it was. Where normally, if you listen to a score a lot before you go into a game, you're like, oh, this is where this song happens. Where in Bastion, it always felt like the song was emerging out of the level that was being built, which is really, really cool. Do you feel like that's a rare thing? No. There are some games who do layering of tracks really well. Mirror's Edge and Descent 3 come to mind as games where the soundtracks I know are very layered and build up as you go through the environment. And most games have that kind of thing going on. In fact, I think objectively Bastion has that going on less. It just I think it's just the art style kind of Yeah, I think the execution of how they play off of each other for whatever reason seems to just work better. Yeah, absolutely. They they found some secret sauce that they sprinkled on it. Yeah. I don't know how games that do scoring this well I think Monument Valley is another great example of a game whose score just fits really well. And Monument Valley is a collection of licensed music. But in this game, it really does feel like they worked together with Darren Corb from the onset of the game and were just... It seems like he was practically a part of the art team. It all just goes together so well. I, it, there is one game that I think is prettier, uh, in my own opinion. What do you though. think, Craig? I think Journey is pretty. Oh. The Sands and Journey are just amazing. Oh, that is a beautiful game. Yeah, yes. there's certain moments in that game that, like, I don't think I'll ever forget in my life because of how f- fucking gorgeous it is. Yeah, that, that's completely fair. I like Bastion's colors, but I totally I think Journey gets... I respect that choice. Matt, what's the prettiest game you've ever played? What were your other contenders? Journey's definitely up there. Oh, the other one I was going to say was The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fair. We'll talk more about that one later but oh that one is and it's hard to make the sweeping comparisons also just based on art style and 
other things that go into what you define as being a gorgeous game. For me, it's like what moves you the most. I feel like in games, there's definitely like, as far as having a unique artistic style, I really like Borderlands. Yeah, me too. That has, that is a really solid style that I think is just, and this, this is also in the Telltale games where they've got the same kind of thing going on. I feel like, yeah, I feel like they do that really well. And it, it, it creates a unique aesthetic that I think is very, it, I think it definitely adds to the storyline too. Have you ever played Auto Modelista? No. It's a cell shaded racing game. Oh man, from the PS2. How have you? Oh, that is so. Sounds good. like two your racing games game. on the PS2. Enthusia. I think I actually might still own it. Well, yeah. We should totally do a throwback episode. <laughs> we should. Well, we're also going to do right? God Hand. So here's a here's a moment of connection. One of the things that detracted from my experience of the music in this game is realizing that a couple of the things Darren Korb is using, I believe, are fairly common loops. And the reason I believe this is there is a song in Bastion called Slinger's Song. And there is a song in Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2006 that sounds an awful lot like something I'm familiar with. It also sounds like the Serenity thing. Well, any kind of Western thing. Yeah, that did sound like the very beginning of the Firefly theme. Oh, that is really similar. It's the same exact loop, yeah. It's the same melody, anyway. I, I yeah. totally hear it. Holy shit. So, when I was playing the game, I was like, uh... And the Tiger Woods soundtrack is done by BT, who's a very, very, very famous electronic musician. It's obviously so not... So, guessing that loop is in GarageBand. Yes, I would also guess that, which is odd, because I don't think BT normally composes in GarageBand, but anyway, that's a funny thing that I noticed. Hmm. The five degrees of separation of music. You felt that that, did, that attracted from your enjoyment to the music? It made me feel a little bit less like it was magical and special in the same way when I look at, like, a company logo and I see a font I recognize, I feel a little bit sad. Hmm. Are these just alien concerns? That it's not wholly original? Yeah, it's like, oh. It's like, to a slightly more comical degree, when I see Comic Sans, I'm like, oh. It's like that, except... Well, we know, can, we can all have a problem with that, I think. Yeah, I think that's allowable. But I think that about concludes everything I was going to say about the soundtrack. I wanted to talk about the difficulty in this game, specifically the shrine, and you're being able to apply the different gods and those kind of effects. Did any of us do that? First time I played it, I was playing with some of the... uh, So I played this twice, once when I originally picked it up, when it was, you know, all up in the zeitgeist. Yeah. And then now, again, recently, when we came back, the first time when I was still in, oh my god, I'm going to do everything about this game. I'm going to beat it as hard as I could. I put on, you know, everything in the shrine. For some reason, I put the game down at that point. So <laughs> it's kind of telling. But then when I went back and played it this time, I didn't touch it, touch them at all. Does that mean that they were like too much, too difficult? You could strongly correlate that with a, <laughs> <laughs> I used them and didn't finish. I didn't use them and finished, but I don't know if I'm, I would say that that was the reason. Okay. Yeah. I, started to use them because i was just curious what is this new thing that i unlocked and then i realized that i was making the game harder or adding other complicated factors to the actual gameplay and i was like actually more in this to just experience kind of the adventure as opposed to yeah looking for like a true challenge i was like eh, maybe i'll come back to it but I, I think i ended up leaving most of them off after that and then looked at it as a post 
new game plus type thing that i would go back to the recharge one was horrible for boss fight levels specific there's a couple boss fight levels in what there did, were particularly what did bad. that one do all enemies health just remember? recharged over time oh jesus so like ones that, that would awful. ones that would like attack you in spurts and you had to wait for them to like do their attack phase before you could attack him again would just regenerate during the time and i was like uh this was a huge mistake like the one that's uh there's like a flower and then it opens up and shoots a bunch of needles at you that is exactly the level i tried it on yes that was a horrible idea nathan yep it was a mistake uh i also think in terms of game mechanics the idea of building the different structures in the bastion to control what kind of things you had access to was pretty interesting considering the the final building only got constructed at basically the final level, right? Not quite, but pretty close to it. That one, the shrine, yeah. yeah. And you didn't really... But there were other ways to customize your game, not to that extent and to the, you know, masochistic extent that that one right. was. But, you know, picking your weapons, picking your potions, the, the, which all behaved in slightly different ways. That I think that was all a part of what the Bastion was doing leading up to that point also. I- Absolutely. I just like the idea that you could have played this game if you weren't really thinking too much with only putting in the weapon change terminal last. I think I just think uh, that's... I think you would have to put it in the first half of the game at least, right? Because like you have to build the first like three and you have a limited selection of what you're allowed to build at that point. Yeah, you have to build the bastion before you before the um well the attack happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you okay, can build so you the have, stuff that yeah. So you you have, you have to then. kind of build up so you can get access to swap weapons and potions and all that stuff early on. So yeah, it wouldn't be too long. And even on top of that, there are armories in in the levels that would allow you to swap, That's which do allow you to swap. Very good just, point. You know, would make it more uncomfortable. I did to the point of the weapons appreciate kind of the RPG light method of being able to customize and kind of swap out different things without having to go super in-depth and looking at like six or seven different stats per weapon to identify what might be best to use it kept it more accessible at least to in a really good way you could upgrade the web the armory and then like got further tech tree upgrades for each weapon that way what did you think about the material system? How you had to like find something sharp to be able to do this weapon or find something stringy to be able to upgrade this other weapon? I thought it made a lot of sense in the game world, I guess. But I was very appreciative that you could buy those things straight out. It was seemed pretty similar to other games. Where you had to find the appropriate upgrade for the weapon. To me, it just seems kind of encumbersome, like overly complicated for as simple as the system was in this game. I guess that makes sense, yeah. I I think that given that we're used to games with incredible stat complexity, having a similarly complex system of you need one item for each weapon, and this game having much less stats, but still having the same degree of complexity with actually getting to the point where you could upgrade the weapon, I kind of see where you're coming from. I thought it made sense. I didn't feel like it was overly complicated. The weapon upgrades were frequent enough that you were still able to everything you needed to it, it so, i mean i could think of like a game me, where if there was, you would get money and you money and you go buy an upgrade right so in this game you have your money so you go buy a material and then use that you know walk all the way across the other part of town and use that material to go upgrade your weapon it just seemed like this extra step that was kind of right i think what that allows them to do is give you a little bit or give them a little bit more control about when you get weapon upgrades that way you're not just getting a huge pool of money that you can use kind of freely across any discipline they're kind of showing you that you can... They're kind of guiding your path a little bit. 
And then they can give you those pieces oh, versus giving you Exactly. That way money, you don't right? tank the original weapon. I think that's really the thing they're going against. Because if they just gave you money, you could just spend all of your money upgrading the... The original yeah. thing and not have to worry about anything else. Yeah. And why yeah, wouldn't you run around with a giant hammer? Did you guys end up using kind of a combo of the same two weapons through most of the game or were you constantly swapping out as you got new stuff and trying stuff out and swapping around i used question. the fang repeater as okay. a kind of a as my primary one which is kind of a fast shooting gun and then my second one i kept that was like as, the, ooh, it was the first like crossbow automatic crossbow, crossbow kind of thing there we go okay yeah and so I kind of was upgrading that the whole game. And then for my second weapon, as the game was going along, I just kept swapping in with whatever they were giving me. And then uh, at the end, I stick, stuck with the mortar. So I had both I, of those two things. The narrator said, as I picked that load out, he's like, hit him fast and hit him hard. Yeah. And I, it was just perfect. <laughs> I liked the narrator's commentary on the weapon loadouts and how he would have like a combination of things to say about your combination. I stuck with the Fang Repeater for quite a while. And I really liked how you could assign your melee to either the action or the secondary action. Like there was no constraint about which one was primary, which one was secondary. I thought that was really nice. And like I was mentioning, I didn't have a melee. You just had two range. Just two range weapons. Oh, yeah. True. So that's really cool. So I used the Fang Repeater and what was the other thing I used? The dueling pistols. Those are pretty sweet. Those were cool. I don't think we used them very much until you were playing. Then you're like, pistols. I used the, what was the second melee weapon you get after the hammer? The spear? The sword. The sword. Oh, the really yeah, fast the sword. sword that that just like, so, whack, 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 whack. the war machete, yeah. right? The yeah, war machete. The one, so I had the, the war machete and the Fang Repeater for quite a long time. But the weapons you got at the end of the game were so interesting that I just, it broke my stagnation, I guess, which I thought was cool. What do we have there at the end? Flamethrower, mortar. Well, the flamethrower is really cool. Uh, yeah. First flamethrower I've played in a game in a long time that I wasn't like, well, this is garbage. <laughs> Seriously, the they're never that effective. Yeah, yeah, the mortar, the calamity cannon, battering ram, army what, carbine. What did you use, Craig? I ended up using the machete as well as kind of the default melee weapon that I used through a lot of it. And then I also uh, used the breaker's bow. So I use the bow and arrow combo quite a bit. Definitely. Cool. This is from the year of the bow, right? This was from the year of the bow, wasn't it? Back in 2011. Whoa. That might have, was that before the year? I think it might have been before. I think bow, Tomb Raider it? launched in 2012 and that was, wasn't that the yeah. year of the bow? Yeah, that was the year of the bow. I guess that also brings up that the game's been out for quite a while. It yeah, was out is... originally on xbox 360 in 2011 and then didn't make it to some other platforms until i think the next year uh, i think i made it to ios in 2012 or 13 it, and then how does it PlayStation play on ios in 2015 i don't how know i'd be curious but I, I have no experience with it is it tablet preferred or is it for phones too i think it was tablet preferred but let me see if it's even available on iphone so yep bastion and uh, their follow-up were both available on ios so i'm curious how an action rpg would play on a touch only device oh i'm gonna the narrator a bit more yeah didn't really talk about him very much what do we know about him i feel like i kind of want to emphasize just how good his narration is also how he's uh a narrator for dota oh, oh yeah i heard okay. they did that nice he's a a pack hmm. so matt one of the things that was on my mind is um, this idea of the world falling into place. You said there was a 
like a story reason behind why that was happening? Well, one of the things, this is actually something I got from the soundtrack. Track one is Rux. He's talking to you and he says, the track is titled Get Used To It. There's three things I'll miss about the old world. One. There's always something brewing in the old world. Not having to watch my step all the time. Two. <laughs> yeah, I'll forget about two. Three. Miss the songs. Incidentally, two is a reference how there's no women around. But anyway, your original question was... Why is everything flying into place as I'm walking around this world? Well, that's not really properly explained. The only thing that they, I can assume... They mention it, so it's not like it's just... I, I thought it, it was just like a I, but, graphical thing, where no, it's like, it's, it's oh, definitely... you know, this is the representation of how we're showing you the fog of war, and the character can only see this far, and now that you've seen it, this is the world you know about. But they actually talk about the world snapping into place. So it, I, right. well, it's like contextualized why, better than that. Right. So they don't say specifically the world is shattered for this reason, but it's definitely known that everyone is basically on these floating islands in, this, in, the, in the region. I'm not sure to what extent the shattering has taken place. But that's why I mentioned during my synopsis of the game some sort of earth-shattering anti-gravity device because these pieces are not falling back together like you would expect in some sort of calamity like that. Everything is staying far out on these separate different islands. And in the way you have to navigate between these islands is the skyway. You basically just get flown up into the air, you fly around to another island, and you land face down in your new level. I love that. I also love that. That was a phenomenal thing they threw into this game. A picture on the loud screen of you just just cruising around, picking your next location. You're like, you're like, Falling you're like on sky. a jet stream or something. But no, I think the calamity is responsible for these floating sections of land. I think it just shattered everything. These floating islands in the sky. Now there's no ground per se. At least that seems to be the implication that they've made. Maybe there is some ground, and there's just nothing down there. It's molten core or something like that, or barren rock. But it's definitely a part of the world that they're living in, is that you're on this island, and if you fall off, you're going to just fall and fall. Incidentally, I'm not sure why the anti-gravity wouldn't apply to you. Again, these details aren't properly explained. But it's Let me ask well, you this a slightly different way. Yeah. The world pops up underneath the kid. If Rux was walking around, do you think the world would pop up underneath Rux too? I'm going to guess that the world itself popping up was a stylistic level choice. So you do think it's not? Or I think that is, yes. But you can still fall off those, right. the world. I think as you're traveling through the level, those sections pop up and that's the fog of war. I think that the section you fall off is because there's just literally nothing there. And so I do like how if you do fall off, you just come right back down from the top and land back in the level. I think that was also a fun choice. Is that on the in part the, the game's like plot, or is that just a game mechanic? Ruck talks about that. He says, you know, a "Kid's got to watch his step, or he's uh, he's not going to be around much longer." Something of that sort. He he mentions this yeah, when you I, fall off the level, right? But does that mean that the world like loops? I don't think the world loops. So I it's think a, it's kind it's of a game a, design, like retry. It's the yeah. It, it it's feel, a gimmick. It feels like it's right there with the world popping up, where it's like. Is that part of the world, or is that address? Yeah, the narrator kind of like says, "Are oh, we live in a weird world where the ground's popping up all over this?" You know, I don't think he says it quite quite like that, yeah. but it's like well, I don't think they address the ground popping up as you move uh, through the level. They don't. I mean, 
I think they, they do, don't they? Say doesn't he like say, say like the world's falling into place again or something of that yeah, nature? Like, like, isn't that like a nod and a wink or something to possible it? Possible metaphor, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. He it's, does mention that a couple of times. There's yeah. a lot of stuff in the game where it's like blurring the lines between who is who and you know I love that about this game. What character is But I could totally see that being annoying too, if you're looking for answers. As far as actually answering your question, the Islands in the Sky, I think, is a more solidified part of the story as far as the level itself popping up as you move through it. I think that's more a stylistic choice. And I actually didn't really remember that Rux definitely does make comment about that. It's or He'll say the world's falling into place, and then as you're moving through, it, it, or things are falling apart. And yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. I think that's a little less, I don't know, solidly stated. But I like, yeah, I, like, I, like, I like that, though. What'd you learn about Supergiant, Craig? So the studio, when they made Bastion, was just uh, seven people, and it was formed in San Jose from former members of EA LA, who had worked on the Command and Conquer series. Oh, so, this was right around the time they got kind of dissolved, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So that's why they kind of split off to do this. That's insane. What a difference. Yeah, no kidding. So I think they're they're up to 12 employees as of now or as of when they were releasing Transistor in 2014, so uh, which was their follow-up insane. title. Explosive so growth. Bay. Yeah, they're down in the Bay Area. <laughs> okay, so I was just thinking of WB being up here then. My bad. Yes. I think the last thing is kind of to really go into Logan Cunningham, who's the narrator for this game, who's also done, of course, an announcer pack for Dota obviously and he is in transistor as well and he was in two films one from 2008 and one from this year i believe that aired at trebecca called jackrabbit and there is a 80s inspired tie-in video game that goes along with that and i wait it's not jazz jackrabbit i don't think so i think it's just jackrabbit oh okay i was like jazz jackrabbit was the first game i think cliff blazinski worked on of epic fame no, I think the game is also called Jackrabbit, and I think Mr. Cunningham is in that as well. But other than that, I can't find him in anything else. But man, he's good. Some of the best voice acting I've heard in a long time. I, I think. Am I just seduced by the overall sort of art of the world? Yeah, or I was curious if you think good? it's great voice acting, which I would agree with, or do you think it's enhanced because of the role that he's playing within this game world also as kind of being that narrator and uh, providing that type of context? I don't remember what game we talked about this before, but it is very difficult to distinguish those two things. He definitely has a very powerful, low, baritone bass voice, and it's it's used very effectively in this case because he is in the narrator godlike position. He's telling this really epic story of massive destruction on a planetary scale and that definitely adds something to it. it's important to talk about the right kinds of things this is definitely the right kind of game he's got kind of the wise old man yeah, kind of kind thing. of a shtick he's got going but he's like so, a little bit coy too you know oh yeah he, he's uh disconnected he's got some good wit to him and he's definitely a bit disconnected from things i mean he's having you do everything while he lounges around the bastion kind of waiting to see how things turn out why is he the way he is so he designed this weapon he saw the world go to pieces I believe is his exact quote. He seems Why is little, he just kind of uncaring? He seems a little bit mad mm. to me. Really? I think he's lost By a bit. crazy? I think crazy. A little bit. Or angry. You know, there's. I'm sure there's a lot going... I mean, he developed... He helped to develop the Doomsday Weapon. He says that explicitly to Zia. 
during his narration of the full-on story. He helped to develop the Bastion. I think at this point, just given everything that's happened, I th- feel like he used to care his character. He cared a lot about... Do you think he felt animosity toward the the people of the terminals? The other side? No, I don't. I think that seeing the entire world be destroyed as it was just kind of like broke something. Well, I mean, before? Do you think he was angry before? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Unless I missed the plot point where he was the one who set off the calamity. I don't think so. I don't think that's a thing, though. Didn't you say some scientist did it? Yes. However, Nate was playing at the time. I'd been drinking a little bit. I might have missed that line. We'll allow it, considering all the other things you absorbed. So, Nate, what do you think? This guy? What's his name? Um, Logan. Logan Cunningham. Logan Cunningham or Dave Fenoy of Lee Walking Dead fame? I mean, Logan Cunningham. Although, Fenoy does have more range. I'm a Fenoy sure. guy. I just love the way What else his, is he in? He, he, uh, he's like at the commercials for everything Hulu for a couple of years. And <laughs> oh. Previously on... I like Cunningham. Although, I think we see a better performance from Mr. Fenoy. Is his name? I'm not actually sure how you pronounce it. I've only seen it. I feel like we also go through more. You know, the world was destroyed in this game... But in The Walking Dead, a little girl is there. I feel like we go through more in The Walking Dead. Well, I certainly feel a little more detached from the Bastion world. Yeah. The narrator almost makes it seem like, this is why I said he's gone a little crazy. He's just kind of like, you know what? I just don't care about this crap anymore. It's too much. Which is why he doesn't really care so much what decision you make. It's like, I'm going to leave this up to other people. I'm just going to be here doing my thing. It doesn't really matter. He's world weary. Very world weary. It does fit within character, doesn't it? Yeah, so I don't think he he cares so much. So he, while he conveys... He's still world weary if you don't have a world. (laughs) Sky weary. That was very well said, Will. Yeah, that was funny. Um, He conveys a very powerful story, and yet it's very calming, and he's very detached also. He has that soothing voice of someone that has experience in life. You're like, you've been places, you've seen things, and you're going to help me get through this, and I trust you implicitly. And he does it without vocal fry. How about that? Oh, thank goodness. So, I was wondering and kind of thinking about what games might have led to Bastion. I don't really have an answer to this one offhand. I don't really know. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit RPG-y, so... All the RPGs of history have led us here. It's isometric in art style. So there's, I mean, there's games that certainly fall into that category. But I can't really think of one game that I feel like was kind of, this game was a spiritual successor to. I kind of want to throw out, even though I didn't play it, Shank was supposed to be really heavily animation focused. That kind, in my mind, not specifically tying together, but that's kind of one thing that I'm thinking about. Shank is interesting. It's... It's 2D and side-on, but you're right, it is very... Uh, how would I even describe it? It's almost... Shank is very comic book style, where this is more hand-painted. And in terms of art style, I almost think more of Raymond Origins and the, the oh, follow-up yep. Raymond games. What about uh, Okami? Yes. Mm-hmm. Although... <laughs> yeah, I... I um, okay. In no terms is of a the, fine uh, answer. In terms of the water brush. Yeah, that's interesting. In terms of the level of art on display, yes, definitely Okami. But Okami to me is almost more of a historical game, looking at the what the UKOE painting style of Japanese history. I don't think that 
Bastion has any sort of historical parallel in that same way. But you're right, right as far but as it being the full, you, you don't have to completely dupe a game for it to be inspired by, right? Yeah, that's true. I think uh, definitely... Stanley Parable. The Stanley Parable, I think, kind of... Ins- I don't know the time frame, actually. Was it Stanley Parable before after Stanley this? Parable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's awkward. Oh, no, that's just a recommendation now. Yeah. There you we'll go. We'll go right into the recommendation sections, unless has, anyone else has any ideas for what? I, yeah, I was asked... I mean, I was asked originally about what is this game so so my brother asked me how would i describe this to him and i was like oh so i was trying to think of things they could have inspired and i kind of pitched it as a isometric adventure game um and i wouldn't go as far as saying there's a lot of comparisons but i was saying like back to Baldur's gate 2 or something of that nature where you're kind of adventuring with rpg elements or i could see that they're, they're could be something that you could at least try and latch onto um if you have some history but why is this not like a diablo you're not really collecting loot in the same way it's not really a diablo's like very clearly a net hack like game right yeah it's it's very i was saying loot and then also i don't think uh this world is meant to be as revisited as much to yeah. to go back into the levels thereafter. Like, there's a critical path, and once you finish it, you kind of reset at the very beginning through a new game plus mode or something like that. There's not that is- hook to just keep going back into the world over and over again with the same character. I guess that would be the the RPG light aspect. Yeah, this this world isn't as as exploratory as Diablo is. It's more progression focused. I think you kind of move through each level. You might come back with a different weapon set, but you're not really going to venture off and try to collect as much as you are trying to basically beat. Considering these guys came out of the EA, uh, what used to be Westwood, I'm guessing, through several transitions, they came out of the studio that did Command & Conquer. I I wanted to see if Matt saw any parallels to Command & Conquer 3 or anything like that. I know that you're very fond of the narration and the story and all that in C&C especially the later ones. Do you see any sort of parallels, given that these are some of those team members? I actually know some of the same team members. I feel like both have similarities in that they keep things a little bit vague as far as certain details in the Command & Conquer series. You don't see, well, in the case of Command & Conquer, you don't see what Kane is doing in the the background. You have sort of your storyline, then all kinds of crazy stuff is going on at a higher level. That seems similar, but that seems like a pretty common sort of storytelling method. You don't know everything. There's a bigger story going on that you're a part of. I wouldn't say particularly that I'm I'm noticing. It just doesn't seem that unique to me. Sure. I thought of one other title that might even have some of the similar art style from a watercolor, kind of the colors within it. Uh, what about Braid? Yeah, Braid does look kind of similar, huh? Yeah, and Braid was one that came out... A couple of years before this. Eight? Uh, so 2000, yeah. Something interesting to, to look back upon. I think that leads us nicely. And it'd be a recommendation, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, it leads us nicely into recommendations. I think Braid's a good one as far as those beautiful, uniquely animated indie games that have a lot of heart. Interesting know. story within it as well. Yeah. Challenge, too. Heartbreaking. Vanishing of Ethan Carter. <laughs> really? Why? It's beautiful. 
I thought it was a very compelling story. It was a beautiful game. It was very well paced, and I thought the soundtrack complemented the gameplay very effectively. It also has a very good narrator. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it might be something atypical as to what you'd think would be a suggestion for this, just based on the gameplay and kind of how it's presented. Yeah, I think more about this game and the gameplay. I think the obvious kind of is all combat, right? Oh, that's a good point. Although, yeah, Transistor, the follow-up to this, is by far the most obvious. If you really enjoyed Bastion, then go straight to Transistor. It's kind of a 2.0 and how it's presented. Yeah, and it has more options for combat, right? You can play it in the same manner you played this, or you can play it as more of the XCOM style. Not quite RTS, but something like it, right? It's pretty close to an RTS, yeah. I was going to say, you can definitely do a, a stop time and kind of plan out your attacks ahead of time um, but there's definitely a lot of the same elements of mixing and matching your weapons and adjusting how things play together to kind of develop your own playstyle through it as well as having a lot of similar things that make a game a super giant game possibly at least up to this point of having the narrator and a strong tie-in to music as well same soundtrack composer Logan Cunningham is also in it. So that's a that's a very clear recommendation. I'm trying to think of what would be a more creative recommendation, and I can't remember. I was thinking of Limbo. I personally feel that that's about as obscure as Matt's suggestion, but, but how so? <laughs> Craig, I fully support your suggestion. Get right on defending it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I was, like, <laughs> I was purely thinking about it from a perspective of something that... The time frame to to ingest and enjoy it is something that you can get through pretty quickly. Uh, it has a unique art style on its own and how it's presented to you as well. And kind of it's a little bit more obscure of a story, honestly, but uh, in a way that's more minimalistic that you can kind of take a little bit of, of your own out of it. I think Limbo is a game to me that's 100% atmospheric. I don't know if I feel quite that way about Bastion, but I think they both do have that in common, that that's sort of a design yeah. priority. Yeah, I think it, it It definitely, I feel like it at least hangs out in, in a similar arena. Maybe not very close together, but... Yeah, sure. Something that I think you would enjoy if you, if you did enjoy Bastion. I definitely see a common theme of the uh, tightly knit indie style game. Yeah. With its own unique art style, storytelling method. That's done effectively. I can't really think of anything else beyond that. How about you, Will? You got anything else? Hmm. What about... Let's see. What do the what do the flower guys do? Flow. Journey? Nobody said Journey? Nobody said oh. Journey. I was thinking Journey, but I felt like I'd already yeah. said something that... Uh, yeah, no. we're, yeah. Yeah. But we did talk about that as being very atmospheric, and it's a little bit like limbo and very minimalistic storytelling style. Go play that, too, if you haven't. If you yeah, what was the other don't narrator? Don't recommend Journey high enough to everyone in the world. What was the other narrator one? The Stanley, Stanley Parable. Parable. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that just an one. incredible game. But you got to be in the right. That game's probably most funny to people that have a lot of experience with video games, and kind of are willing to think about it on slightly. It, it's a more it's mentally a, active game. Well, it's a bit of a parody of games. Yeah. Can you think of anything else that's like? tonally related anything else is just like a downer <laughs> it's not a downer it's this just game's pretty this much game a downer, a downer but it's 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 especially with what you pointed out to us Matt. but it fair doesn't enough. seem quite okay. the 
It's well, a post-apocalyptic game, so Fallout, naturally. Matt um, would say Endless Legend. Sorry. <laughs> Fallout seems more jovial than... Well, I was joking. Although, well, yeah, Fallout New Vegas is definitely jovial. This is, this can is we a, think of any other, like, just downer games? Game. Yeah, Matt hated Endless Legend for it being a downer. Sometimes I don't you want to feel sad, you know? I do. And I want to feel, and it's not every day that you can find a game that'll do that for you. So I it's agree. certainly that's Especially that's if you true. You have no feelings at all left, like Will <laughs> or Matt. There's only so, yeah. Okay, well let's not let's not get into my uh, misanthropy. Right Last now. of Us is a good downer game. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's a real bummer. That that one. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Just. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll take us nicely into conclusions and other thoughts, of which we probably have none. What do you think about recommending Monument Valley? I don't know. Oh, it's isometric. It's a very atmospheric puzzle solver. Music is not integral to it, but it's very good. It's a mobile game. Perhaps you've heard of these. They're games that you can play on your phone. I'm familiar. Yeah. It's pretty affordable, too. Yeah. It's only a couple blocks. Yeah, it's, it won tons of awards. It's an excellent little I've indie darling. i heard the darling. phrase. I just don't know anything about it. Oh, it's... it's. Uh, I heard it, the title. It's an Escher-like game. Another one of those. Oh, yes. Is it yeah. depending or on your point of view? If you, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah do you yeah, recall okay, Echo Chrome? It's very much like Echo Chrome for the PS3, which I bet you didn't play. Uh. Or there's one other one that's similar to this yeah I, th- I think that's comparable in the isometrics and the atmospheric but there's not really a story as much so take that as you may it's interesting bite-sized experience to get your hands on absolutely craig what'd you think of this game i thoroughly enjoyed bastion and honestly i might have come to appreciate it a little bit more throughout our discussion here and matt bringing a little bit more light to the story but as far as an inventive way to showcase the gameplay through the world popping into place, the art style that we've already spoken at length about, as well as the soundtrack and how that kind of propels you through the narrative. I kept wanting to continue to play just so I could hear the next song. So I could see the next environment that I was presented with, um, and come up with kind of a new solution for one of the enemies that you would face through mixing or mashing some of the different weapons together. And honestly, this game left me with that moment where if I wasn't playing it, I wanted to get back to it because I wanted to see it through. I wanted to actually finish it. And when there's so many options out there to actually want to finish the game and not feel like I need to finish it just so I can complete it, uh, it earns a pretty high recommendation based on that. I think it's, especially as it's become available on more platforms, whether... You play it on PlayStation 4 at this point or still on an Xbox platform or even in Google Chrome. I think you owe it to yourself to at least experience it and give it a shot. I agree with that. I definitely agree with your sentiment about wanting to beat it, which I think is really cool and really rare. I think that Bastion is... I guess I have a hard time evaluating it objectively because I think the art style is so lovely and the soundtrack is so wonderful and the narration is so great. And I kind of like the mysterious detached tone and the I kind of like the narrative style of not really knowing what's going on and, you know, coming into this room and hearing someone talk about the plot, giving me so much more appreciation for it. I feel like it's really more artsy in that way, right? The more you know about art, the more you appreciate it. I think that's one of the key components of what defines art. And I think that this game is definitely, definitely falls right in that camp. If I go back and play it again, which I probably will, because I probably want to beat the challenge arenas. I think I'm going to go back into that world with a much deeper appreciation of, wow, this is fucked up. This is interesting. There's more going on here than... You know, the game does a good job of hinting at it, but it doesn't drip-feed you the plot. 
it doesn't slap you in the face with it. So I think it's really cool that, yeah, that it, it, it is a world that I was interested in being in and I came back to it again and again. I thought that was really cool. Seven out of ten. Surprised. Yes. I almost gave it an eight, but that would be blasphemous. So I wasn't really in the mood for playing this kind of game and I haven't been in a while. And so this game, by that I mean kind of a a, a brawler almost. Sure. Kind of things that I've been leaning toward liking lately are really more of the RPG elements, feeling like I can invest in my character. And this game had some of that, but it was like really just scratching the surface, you know, picking my weapons and figuring out how I upgrade and how I want to configure the bad guys. I am a fan in games like Final Fantasy twelve where I can com- feel like I'm doing the programming bit. So the idols kind of felt like I was programming my enemies a, a bit. So that kind of did appeal to me but whereas you were saying that you felt like the story was kind of just drip fed to you i think the story was the thing that i had the biggest problem with in the game it's like i knew there was a lot there and i knew there was so much going on it just as i was just lost as i was going through the game and it it just didn't come across to me and that i feel like i missed that part and i feel like if i had gotten as much as you 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 told us here i would have felt way better about it but i can only really talk to the experience i had with the game i agree that it's a very very beautiful game i don't know how you would do it that do that piece any better so you know generally favorable the game um, does everything that I think it should do. At the end of the day, it feels like an 8 to me. It's down to you, Matthew. What do you think? I would give it a 7. To clarify about Nate, though, he had said that the story, that it was more of an artsy game, that the story was not fed to us as much. I love the art of it. I love the presentation. I love the way they the way they tell the story. The story itself, I was like, this could have been tighter. This could have been more effectively presented. That was my main issue with it. Was I got to the end, I just felt very unsatisfied. I was like, ah, this is this is okay. I love I love the atmosphere of this game. I love playing it. Yeah. I love being in this really cool place that they they make. It's very effective in that respect. Then it ends very loosely, and I'm just I, I was left very unsatisfied for that reason. So. Hence my lower rating. Had they had a really nice tight story, again, the game's presented very well basically every other way, so I'd have given it a higher score. But I feel like they could have told a tighter story, and it would have really added something to it. Does it feel like they kind of just tacked the story on the end after they had this other great idea? A little bit. It almost feels like there was the idea of having the tech demonstration of the levels popping up the way they did. You have the narrator, really cool. Narrator's great. Music's great. Um... The world is really interesting as well. It's the bungee effect. That's exactly what this is. We have an amazing yeah. world. It's filled with all these amazing details. It's animated wonderfully. Everything's interesting, and the plot just sucks. And they, well, they tell the basically everything I told you was from the very last level where Rux is telling Zia all of this yeah. from the diary, from the journal, and well, the, the plot. That's is, that's annoying to me. You could have told the whole thing over the course of the game, and it could have been really powerful that way. Yeah. Yes. I was curious if we knew, what was generally the critical feedback to this game? What did journalists say about it? How has it held up over time? And 
do we know enough about Transistor to kind of extrapolate whether Transistor fixed any of the things we complained about? The game was received very favorably. When it originally came out, I think it was in the high 8s, low 9s for the most part. I'm not sure exactly where the Metacritic ended up landing, but it was received and ended up on a lot of kind of end of year lists back in 2011. There were still a lot of people doing best downloadable games versus best game, yeah. so there's still kind of a little bit of separation there. But it was received extremely well, and I think it's held up. Obviously, it's held up well enough that there was still demand that people wanted to play it, that they brought it out to another new platform four years after it's originally released. Yeah. Which I think probably says a little bit about it. To your point on Transistor, without digging into a review discussion of that game, it definitely takes some of the aspects of Bastion and furthers them. Uh, I think specifically around the combat is probably the, the greatest place that it makes it. How it's approached, we kind of touched on it lightly that there's this RTS element to it as well as being able to play it in real time. But then the amount of ways that you're able to customize the weapons that you have uh, is much greater. And there's a lot more kind of availability to modify how you're playing the title. Um, I don't know if they cleared up the story portion. Yeah, I remember hearing in just the reviews all that people well. being like, what's happening in this game? So I feel like yes. it's probably the same storytelling style, which makes sense. With It totally is. I mean, it's following the same type of thing where Logan Cunningham is still the narrator of Transistor as well. And you're following a story for a woman named Red as opposed to a, a kid. And they try and give her a little bit more personality. But honestly, as I was playing through that title separately, which I haven't finished... Um, I didn't have the agency to finish it, even though I've had it longer than I owned Bastion, which is kind of funny. There wasn't... The story in that game, definitely, I I have no idea what's going on in it. I know there's certain things happening, but overall, I, it's, I'm kind of in the same boat here where okay. pulling it apart doesn't... I don't really know. But it was also received really favorably as well and ended up in the same boat of getting in the eights um and recommended and when it released in 2014 yeah after the launch of the ps4 it was kind of in that spring window it kind of came and went without much of a impact not nearly impact that bastion but then it was one of those games that as the year went on and people were like Oh, yeah, that's on my backlog. It just seemed to end up on a lot of people's backlogs without there being as much uh, kind of hoopla around the title. Sure. My general perception of the critical response was kind of the same. Bastion was generally more favored than Transistor. I looked up the Metacritics real quick. Bastion's currently an 89 and Transistor's an 83. It almost felt like the reaction that we got for hotline miami 2 where it came up again and everybody was like hey that's a cool thing you remember that cool thing that we did and then you play it for a little while and you're like well you know that's 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 cool but that's an old thing that we don't really care about anymore that kind of felt like the reception to transistor everybody was like oh yeah remember bastion that was really cool this kind of feels like that well well at the time in 2011 did this fit into an odd space between indie and triple a no, it fit right alongside as indie. Okay. This always felt to me... I guess it is It is indie to its heart. I don't know why it always felt like a little bit closer to AAA. There's, than, at the time, there was the Live Arcade, 
which was like super indie. Yeah. And then there was like published indie. And this is one of the published indie ones. I think that, yeah, it must have been that yeah. little impression that always stuck with me. Yeah, it's one of those titles that was I don't not at the forefront of the indie movement, but it was definitely one of the ones that was showcasing just how much more what an indie doing. game can look and feel like when it has that high level of polish from people that have been in the industry for a long time as well. A precursor of what would be to come. Yeah. I think that about does it. <laughs> This brings us to the end of another awesome episode of the Emotive Pixels podcast. If you want more from us, you can find us on iTunes and at our webpage, www.emotivepixelspodcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash emotivepixels, or follow us on Twitter at emotivepixels. And as always, keep keep on playing. playing!